The following presentation is from Mountain Park Community Church in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Mountain Park, along with additional audio and visual teachings, visit mountainpark.org. Good morning once again, everybody. Very glad that you're here. My name is Alan. A particular welcome to any of you who are friends and family of those being baptized today. We are so glad that you're here. We want to celebrate with you. And we have a bunch of you who are being baptized, so let me get right to it. Um, John Fred, let me first ask you, have you ever known somebody who was not easy to please? Yeah, no, no nudging. I see a little bit of that. Uh, that's, we wanted this to be a safe place. But do you remember a teacher... A parent, a spouse, a mother-in-law, that's my issue, but, but um, <laughs> I'm sure, you know, most of us can think of a time, maybe when you were growing up, you'd come home with, an, with a test, with an exam, and you would have a 97% on it, and then one of your parents would say, hmm, what happened to the other 3%? You know, it's that kind of thing. Uh, there's this tension that we see with this idea of being uh, easy to please, that it's, it's possible to be, to be, on the one end, to be too easy to please. You know, if, if your kids come home from uh, uh, eighth grade or ninth grade and you say, Billy, oh, I'm so glad you found your way home. You did it all by yourself. Yay! Here's an iPhone. You know, yay! So happy for you. There's a possible to be too far on that end. Then it's, too, it's possible to be too far on the other end when we're too uh, hard to please and then it's demotivating. And so we lack, the, we, we don't take advantage of the opportunities to encourage and uplift one another. So, would you say that God is easy to please or not easy to please? Where would you put God on that spectrum? Does it feel at times that perhaps, you know, you look at this past week and you say, you know what, I cheated on my spouse less this past week than I normally do. <laughs> so does it feel like God's going, yay! Or does it sometimes feel like you have a spiritually strong week and you make good decisions, and you are, you are um, uh, having depth of relationship with others and with God. It's a spiritually strong week, but there was that one moment on Wednesday afternoon when you were a little bit tired, and you lashed out at some people at work. And so then does it feel, as you, as you think about God's perspective, does it feel like that's all that God sees in you, that it's just that you never seem to measure up? What does it feel like to you? Is God easy to please or not easy to please. My hope today is in the next few moments we'll find some relevance to that question. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Father, once again, we are thankful to be here in this place to set aside some time to think about something that, that we uh, perhaps hadn't been thinking about this week, to, to, um, to set apart, to make this time holy, uh, that you would meet us here in this place, that we would be different when we walk out of here because we met with you. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. As the screen uh, indicates, we are still in this uh, series, this year-long series called Foundation, where we've identified 40 foundational passages of Scripture to help us understand the overall story. And we're inviting you to take these Scriptures in and let them be part of your journey. Uh, 
this morning, we're finishing up on the section. We've divided the whole year up into seven sections, and we're finishing up the section that I call the Revolution, where we're looking at foundational passages in the second half of the New Testament. After Jesus ascended into heaven and his followers continued the revolution of love. So that's the section we're in right now. Beginning next week, we're going to be in the section called the church, and we're going to look at some of the foundational passages of Scripture that have shaped our thinking and our theology over the past 2,000 years. That's going to be exciting. Uh, so that's what we're going to get started with uh, next week. But, but this week, we're finishing up the revolution part, looking at a verse that is found in the book of Hebrews. If you brought your Bibles, I invite you to turn there with me. The book of Hebrews is found deep in the New Testament. And it's interesting that we do not know the author of this book, that uh, for some time people uh, guessed that it was Paul, who is a very prolific writer of our New Testament, but then uh, evidence was leaning away from that. And then some have suggested perhaps it was Barnabas who traveled with Paul, or perhaps Apollos who wrote the book of Hebrews. Can you imagine being the writer of this book and that people don't even know that it was you? I mean, if, if some of you, you have jobs or opportunities where you might write an article that gets accepted by a magazine or on a website, or you might get, get many views on something that you've written. Could you imagine writing a letter that becomes accepted as part of the canon of Scripture, and no one even knows it's you? That would be a humblification moment. That would be tricky. I tell you, if it was me I, and I was in heaven, I would, I would ask for the position at the, at the gates, at the pearly gates, if there was such a position. Because I would just want to welcome people and say, hi, so glad that you're here. I wrote Hebrews. Uh, hi, welcome. Glad you're here. Good. Good to see you. Good to see you. I wrote Hebrews. Hebrews writer. I would put that on. I'm the one. It was me. I would want to go after that. But this poor guy, uh, uh, no one knows uh, this uh, great, no one, who, who, who he was. We don't know for sure who he was. Uh, Hebrews is this great book. It's named that because it very much connects with the Old Testament story. It very much connects with the, with the Hebrews that we find as, our, as part of our Old Testament journey. In chapter 11, uh, that's where we're going to find uh, ourselves today, it's referred to as the faith chapter. Chapter 11, Hebrews chapter 11 is where we're going to spend our time, and the writer begins in verse 1 with a verse that is not our foundational verse, but it's a, it's a definition of faith that he begins with. If you have your Bible, follow with me. If you don't, just kind of listen in. He, uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. So he starts off with this, with this great definition of what faith is. And then throughout the chapter, he gives examples from the Old Testament. By faith, Noah did this. By faith, Abraham did this. By faith, Moses did this and walks this out. The verse that we're going to take a look at as our foundational verse is verse 6, near the beginning of this chapter, where this tragically anonymous writer says, and without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Now, before we get to the question of, is God, of whether or not God is easy to please, 
I want to point out that there is an assumption made at the very beginning of this verse. There's an assumption right off the bat that you and I want to please God. It would be as if I said, without skates, it's impossible to play hockey. Now, that's a very reasonable assumption that I'm making that you want to play hockey, that you want, that's an important part of your journey. It's a very reasonable assumption, but it's still an assumption. And so the tragically anonymous writer here says that he, that he asks, do you want to please God? Is that important to you in your journey? Do you want to please God? How many of you would say that you are a people pleaser? At some stages, some moments, you have a little bit of people pleasing. Okay, uh, thanks for raising your hand because it really pleases me that you raised your hand. Um, appreciate that. Uh, I mean, it's so natural. The root of people pleasing is good. The root of that is a good thing. I, I want to serve others. I want to help other people. I want to. I want people to think highly of me. And so the root of people-pleasing is good. But most of us are aware that, that the phrase people-pleasing means we've taken it uh, beyond its roots. That, that generally speaking, we, we understand people-pleasing to not be a good thing. We don't find that listed often on a resume or on a, a dating profile. I'm a people-pleaser. That it's not, it's not typically a, a positive thing with that. Because generally speaking, a people-pleaser is basically saying... All I really care about is what you think of me. So I will let you shape my thoughts and my decisions and my self-image. That, that's generally, or, or maybe even to the far end of the spectrum, that's what a people pleaser is basically saying, is that what I really care about is what you think of me. And so I will, as a result, let you shape my thoughts and my decisions and my self-image. See, I don't want to be a people pleaser. I want to be a God pleaser. I want, I want to be able to say that sentence to God, that all I really care about is what you think of me. And, and I invite you, I want you to shape my thoughts and my decisions and my self-image. See, it's negative when we address it with others, but I think it's a very beautiful and positive thing if we direct that towards God. If we say, I want to be a God pleaser. Now, the idea here, it, 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 this doesn't mean that we don't help people, we don't love on people, we don't do what we can to uh, serve other people. That, that's not what, it, that, what this is saying at all. It, it's, instead, it's saying um, that I'm not, I'm not serving you or, or, or uh, loving you um, for the purpose of you being proud of me, or I'm doing that, I'm not doing that so that somebody else can see it and then be proud of me. I want to do that. I want to treat you well. I want to have positive relationships. I want to serve you because I want God to be proud of me. That, that's the shift. And so we, this is a fundamental question to begin as we enter into verse 6 here is, do you want to please God? And there, there's an assumption that the... Uh, tragically anonymous writer offers here in this verse and says, and says, I assume that you do want to please God. And then he says, here's how. And the verse begins by saying, without faith, it's impossible to please God. I'm assuming you want to please God, but you can't do that without this thing called faith. So this is the faith chapter. What is faith? What I want to do here today is talk about the difference between belief and faith. Here in verse 6, 
the writer in the second half of the verse talks about belief, and it's, it's it, believing is part of that journey. At the beginning, it's faith is part of that journey, uh, part of that verse. There's a difference between believing in something and having faith in something. There, there's, there's a difference uh, uh, between these two uh, key, key, key pieces. And in order to walk this out, I want to draw you a diagram. I want to kind of walk out a diagram with you. Now, I know for the next few moments as I walk through a diagram, it's not going to connect with some of you. Some of you are just going to go, wait, wait a minute, we're talking about faith? And so you're putting a diagram up on, the, up on the screen? I get that. I completely get that. My hope is that there's some level of connection here with, with the... It's my attempt to try to uh, paint the difference uh, between belief and faith. That this diagram kind of represents spiritual growth journey from left to right. That we want, we want to grow, we want to increase um, uh, our, uh, as this verse talks about, being near to God. And so we want to become more near to God. It's this spiritual growth from left to right. And in this journey, belief comes before faith. That belief is a precursor to faith. That, uh, that uh, belief is actually a simpler part of the journey than faith is. Here in uh, chapter, uh, here in the verse 6, the second half of that verse, he says, anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. That, that the, the foundation kind of just getting started is with the belief that God exists. It doesn't get much more simple than that. It doesn't get more baseline, more basic than that. We just want to get started with the belief that God exists, that, that the belief journey, it gets started with some of the most simple concepts, but we can't start, we can't stop there, that it doesn't, it doesn't stop with, with us deciding what we believe. James, the brother of Jesus, says that even Satan believes that God exists, and so it doesn't stop there, that we must make this transition from belief to faith, and this transition from belief to faith is what, is, uh, is what I'm calling the line of faith. It's this transition from us exploring who Christ is to deciding to put our lives in his hands. It's this transition from exploring who Christ is to following Christ. It's that journey of saying, I am now a Christian. I'm, I'm a follower of Christ. The transition from believing to faith. Uh, it is, it's one thing to believe that God is good. It's a whole other thing to put faith in that goodness. So here's where we get the classic illustration that many of, many of you have perhaps heard before. If this is new for you, maybe this will be helpful, the difference between belief and faith. You think about a parachute, that it's one thing so imagine this is a parachute. I'm on a plane. And over there is a parachute up on this plane. You like my airplane sound effects? I was working on all of the last this week. So, so I'm, I'm here on a plane, and it's one thing to believe that parachute is going to be effective. That if something goes wrong, I look over, there's a parachute over there. And I believe that it has been tested. I believe that it was packed properly. I believe that it has the, the, uh, the structural integrity to hold me as I fall from the airplane if needed. It's one thing to say, I believe that parachute is going to help me. It is a whole other thing, whether you're forced to or whether you're recreational jumping, it's a whole other thing to put the parachute on 
and then open the doors of the airplane and then go and jump out. You see, belief is saying, I think this thing will work. Faith is jumping out of the airplane. It's this transition from something that is passive to something that is active. That that belief is a passive experience. I say, yeah, I believe that. It has some distance to it. It's theoretical. I believe that that's true or that that would happen, etc. Faith is active. Faith is something where the belief turns into something that actually impacts my life. Belief transitions to faith. Now, finally, here on this diagram, is that on the left, the belief piece, that is is about pleasing ourselves. And, and it's natural, and it's okay. It is, it, it, we naturally are interested in things to say, how is this going to affect me? It's a natural question. It's what draws many toward the line of faith. That many of you, at some point in your journey, many followers of Christ, at some point said, I don't want to go to hell. I, as I understand this, I, as I understand eternity, I don't want to spend eternity there. Or... If that wasn't your motivation, maybe it was, I want to be part of something bigger than myself. Or I want to experience the peace that I see those who are followers of Christ experiencing. Or the love or the joy or purpose. I want to experience that. And so that can, can naturally be part of the, of the journey. Uh, in fact, uh, the tragically anonymous writer uh, says here in the second half of, the, of our verse 6, he talks about the rewards uh, uh, that we believe in the rewards of those who earnestly seek him. And so it's this natural thing. I want rewards. I'm, I, am, I want to please myself, and that's part of the journey that moves us toward this line of faith. But when we become a follower of Christ, that picture changes, and we now want to say, you know what? It's no longer about pleasing myself. It's this shift to now I acknowledge that there's a God, that God is the one who saved me and allowed me to cross over this line, now, I want to spend the rest of my days pleasing God. That's what worship is. That's what, that's what eternity is. It's about, it's about pleasing God, and that's, that's how that relationship rolls as part of the faith journey. It's this, it's this uh, once again, it's this transition from faith, which is pleasing myself, to, um, to uh, sorry, belief, which is pleasing myself, to faith, which is pleasing God. And it's, it's an alteration of this. So, before I get to the question of um, does, is God easy to please, let me just ask you on this faith side, on this faith journey, is this an easy journey or a hard journey? Is faith easy or hard? And I would argue that faith is difficult. I would, I would argue that the right said that the faith journey is, uh, is, a, is a difficult journey. That it is way more difficult to strap on the parachute and jump out than it is to keep your distance and, and just believe that it exists. It's a more difficult journey to strap it on and jump off. Let me give you another example from, uh, from the Olympics. I said last week that was my last one because the Olympics are done. I understand that. But it's too much of it rolling around in my head. And so uh, how many of you are familiar with the, um, with the U.S. diver David Budaya? 
David Budaya. Okay, okay, watch him. Okay, really good, really good diver. He got a silver medal, got a bronze medal. Um, he's a Christ follower and very impressive interviews afterwards. Just, just it was very clear that, um, that he is uh, walking out his faith, that uh, he is uh, taking the active step of walking out his faith. But here he's a high diver, and it's just, it's just so fascinating to me to think about the journey it would take to be good at that sport. What steps would it take to be good at that sport? Because obviously not everybody who, who has the courage to, to jump off and spin is going to be successful. You may, have, you may be familiar with the two Filipino divers who tried to qualify for the Olympics and, and didn't quite make it. And so just to remind you, here, here they are. This is his buddy. Yeah, he's, he's not much better. And they're clapping. And then this is my favorite part right here. High five. All right. Look at that. How could you not like these two? I mean, I totally want to meet these guys. But it's, it's reasonable to say that not every, not every diver is going gonna, is gonna to nail it every time. I mean, there has to be a significant journey to go from, yeah, I want to be good at that, to doing it at the Olympics. I mean, could you imagine the first time David Budiah stood on the 10-meter platform, 33 feet high, and said, okay, I'm going to do three and a half somersaults and then finish up straight, head first going down. Could you imagine the guts and the body control and the, the, the dizzying control and just kind of being able to go, how many spins am I? Ah! And just, you know, you, could you imagine you just, you just jump off and just say, I'm just going to keep on spinning, 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 and so kind of see where I land, you know? How, how, is, how do you get from, I've never done it before, to doing three and a half and having precision to landing in there? It's amazing. It's beautiful. It's, it's, it's incredible. And so how many times would he have to do that in order to be good enough to do it at the right time at the Olympics? This is not one of those things where, where you just jump off, close your eyes, and then go like this, and then, oh, I did it, three and a half, I did it exactly right. Did you get on film? Awesome. Okay, check. I can do a three and a half somersault dive, and then when it comes to it at the Olympics, I'm sure it'll all come to me. That's not what happens. How many times do they have to do it over and over and over and over again in order, to, in order to make that happen, in order to get the precision of the timing, et cetera. Now, here's my point, and some of you are going, does he have one? I get that. Just stay with me. Whether it's diving or running or working out or whatever the journey might be or spiritual growth and development, we don't naturally stay at our best place. So, so you, you know, you, you've had a moment where you used to be able to do a certain thing physically or whatever. If you have, were, were able to do that at one point, you don't stay there. If you just stop, you drift back towards the middle. You drift back towards where you were before. That in order to stay where we are, we have to work hard. And I think it's the same thing. This is why I think 
uh, I think the faith journey is hard because we have a natural tendency to drift back toward the middle. We have a natural tendency. If we don't do anything, we're just going to drift. That's why I drew in this picture. That's why I drew kind of a V-shape. Is that I think on the faith journey that if we don't do anything, we're going to drift back towards the middle. I also think on the left side with the belief, I think there's a natural drifting towards the line of faith. I think, there's a, I think nature calls out to us. I think nature cries out to say there is a creator. As we're on this belief journey and trying to figure out what this is all about, we may have great questions and what about, what about, what about, that there's this drawing, there's this wooing of God towards um, the line of faith. C.S. Lewis says that we, we have a God-shaped hole in our heart and that we're just looking for something to fill that hole, that there is a draw towards this middle. And that's beautiful, I think, from the left side, but I think it's, it's not so great from the right side. That unless we keep on working out our faith, that we have a tendency to just kind of drift down towards the middle. It doesn't mean we're going to drift out of faith. It doesn't, we're gonna, doesn't mean we, dr- we can drift out of salvation. No, we have sure assurance of salvation, but I think what it means is we can drift back to this passive place. That we can drift. If we're not working on it, then we drift to a place of apathy in our relationship with God. We, we're no longer active. We're passive. We're, we're in this place of apathy. And Jesus referred to this as being lukewarm. That we're not hot. We're not cold. We're just in this lukewarm place. And he's not a fan of that. I think at that stage, in that phase, I think God is, is not pleased and so where would you say you are on this, on this uh, journey, on this spiritual growth place? Where would you say you are? I think it's important to be honest about this. Um, if you are on the left side, perhaps, and you're still kind of searching, you wouldn't say that you've crossed the line of faith, you're still kind of considering and searching, um, I absolutely encourage you to be honest that you could be here today because you're sitting next to someone, maybe a relative or some, maybe somebody you're dating. You're sitting next to someone who is right of this journey and you're on the left side and you're here because you're dating that person. You want that person to think you're on the right side of this journey because she's hot. And so, I mean, I, get, I completely get that. But I just want to invite you to be to be. To be wonderfully honest about where you are on this. Because I've seen it time and time again that when we enter into covenant with somebody, if we are on opposite ends of this journey, if we're in different places there, it creates tremendous tension going forward. And Scripture is very clear about this. It refers to it as being unequally yoked. And so if, we're, if we are not on the same page here, it, it's not opposites attract in terms of spiritual, spirituality. This really is something that you need to be together on. It might be a difficult conversation later on today. This, this is an, really, this is an important one to, to, to be truthful on and shoot straight on. Where are you on this belief, faith journey? Okay, now this brings me back to the original question then. Would you say that God is easy to please or not easy to please? And I would venture to say that I think God is not easy to please. Because faith is hard. The faith journey is hard. That if you've had a mountaintop experience in your life last week, last year, you've had a a mountaintop faith experience, whatever that may have looked like, our natural tendency is to drift away from that. 
And so it's an ongoing effort to keep this going. I think that it's not easy, easy to please God. Because faith is hard. And secondly, perhaps more importantly, I think it's not easy to please God because God knows what you are capable of. God knows what you are capable of. If you're anything like me, you have a tendency at times to lower the expectations so you can blow people away. Have you ever done that where you just make sure the expectations are down here, then you can really impress people and make people, you know, uh, think that you're something special. God's not fooled by that. God is not going to dote over you for being here when he knows you're capable of being here. That, that, that God is not pleased when we are living way under our potential. God knows what our potential is as a student, as a brother, as a sister, as a husband, as a wife, as a father, as a mother, as an employee. God knows what our potential is. And God is not thrilled when we are under our potential. I think in that sense, God is not easy to please because faith is hard and he knows what you're capable of. Now, this doesn't mean that there's some line on the faith journey that you have to work toward before God is pleased with you. It isn't some line that you, maybe someday, maybe someday God will be pleased with me. No, please do not misinterpret that. That's not it at all. In fact, God is interested. I think God is pleased when we move, when we move at all in the right direction. That if, if you're on the belief side and you've made some kind of step to say, you know, I'm not ready to cross the line of faith, but there's part of this that I'm starting to get now. I'm starting to really believe that there is a creator. There is some kind of master design. I think God's pleased with that. I think God is ecstatic when anyone crosses the line of faith. And we see that in Scripture with the prodigal son story. I think God is like the father who sees the prodigal son coming and runs out to meet him and says, let's have a party. My son was lost and now he's found. That's our father in heaven, ecstatic when we cross over the line of faith journey. And for those of you who are being baptized here today, I think God is very pleased with that decision. I think God is so pleased with that. There's a, a journey where there's a, been a crossing uh, of, of faith over that piece. But then baptism in and of itself is an action step. It's a faith journey because it's taking the action of, of stand, going into the lobby and standing for this group of people and saying, I have crossed the line of faith. That I'm no longer on a passive journey of pleasing myself, but I'm on an active faith journey for the rest of my life and I want to please God. I want to please God with my decisions, with my relationships, with my resources. That, that in and of itself, that proclamation here through the act of baptism, that is an act of faith. So if you're being baptized, I want to dismiss you now. I want to invite you to stand up and, and families of those who are being baptized, if you want to celebrate with them in the lobby, please go ahead and do that. We are going to celebrate with you here uh, in, in just a few moments. So I invite you to stand up and head on out. We will celebrate with you. I want to invite the band to come on up and uh, get set up. The band's going to lead us in some songs as we do this. My wife, this morning, uh, she knew I was talking about Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. And so she knows what I'm talking about before I get there. So she's kind of praying over that and kind of working toward that. And this morning, she said, she said, uh, I'm so excited that you're talking about Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. I'm so excited about your verse this morning. And I said, 
I said, well, just to manage expectations, I said, it's going to be kind of a, kind of a logical thing. There, there might even be a diagram. Like, it's, it's going to be kind of a didactic thing. And she goes, oh. <laughs> and you could just kind of tell she was thinking through her head, what other churches could I go to this morning? Um, so I, I totally understand that, you know, this is kind of a, you know, a logical look at, at faith piece. But, but if you want to get to the inspirational part, that's going to happen in about 30 seconds. This baptism piece, us watching people be baptized and come up out of that water, God has wooed them to this place. If there's, there's nothing better that we do around here. I mean, this is what it's all about. This is what it's all about is celebrating the movement of people from left to right. We're going to worship, and we're going to celebrate when people come up out of the water. Would you stand? I want to pray with you, and then we're going to celebrate with baptisms. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are so thankful for your invitation from belief to faith. God, that you've given us such beautiful ways of wooing us to believe, to believe more, to believe, to believe that you sent your son to die for us, that we would take those steps and then eventually we would cross this line of faith to say, okay, okay, now I just want to spend the rest of my life pleasing you. Father, I pray that that would, that would have some traction for some of us here in this room. And God, as we continue to worship, we celebrate the stories that you're telling through those who are being baptized. We join with the angels in heaven here in these next few moments. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.